Hi, I'm Jessica Minhas, and welcome to the I'll Go First podcast. On this episode, we are joined with Terry Lee Cobble. She is an author, the founder and president of D Group, creator and host of the Bible Recap podcast, the Bible Kneecap, and the host of the daily radio show, The God Shot. We recorded this episode a few months ago, and at the time, the Bible Recap had been downloaded 8 million times. And as of the release of this episode, the Bible Recap has now been downloaded over 20 million times. In this episode, we talk about how Tara Lee started her company D Group in her living room and how it's expanded onto every continent and what it means to heal from spiritual trauma. Let's get started. Tara Lee Cobble, I'm so excited that you're here. I'm happy to be here. So with every interview that we do, I always like to set an intention for the interview. One big theme for me has been joy and community, having hard conversations. So I just wanted you to think for a second, what is something that you hope that people know you for? Hmm. One of my favorite quotes right now is preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. So that's Count Zinzendorf said that. And I love that. I just... What do you love about it? It's investing my life in something that will outlive me. All of our names are going to be forgotten 100 years after we're dead. But I can do something that will change things regardless if people never know my name, care about me, if any of that. I can invest in something that will outlive me by spending my days preaching the gospel. What does the gospel mean for you? Ah, The good news that I can't do it. I can't, I can't pick myself up by my bootstraps and fix my own life and that I need help and that help is provided in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And there's joy in that relationship that I have not and cannot find apart from that. Gosh, there's like such a deep dive that I want to do into like (laughs) unpacking I want to hold all the tools and like, I want you to like set them out. I think when I hear that, it's so ethereal to me. And maybe, mm-hmm. and again, maybe that's, and I've talked a little bit about that on the podcast, but I have a lot of spiritual trauma yeah. myself Same. and I have a hard time feeling vulnerable when it comes to any sort of spirituality. I yeah. remember one of my friends was like, let me pray with you. And it wasn't even in a religious context. It wasn't like a Christian context or a Jewish context or anything. And I was like, yeah. no, 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 we're not going to go deep like that. Yeah. It's taken a while for me to even be comfortable to meditate, be like alone and open with myself spiritually. I mean, it was such like a, oh gosh, for anyone listening who has had spiritual trauma, it's just so, it's like a invasion of your inner sanctuary. Right. Yeah. You and I, I think, have talked about how it's, isn't it the, I think you were the one who told me that it is the the deepest layer of trauma. Yeah. At the core, like the core of who you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, that makes sense that, that it would be that way, coming out of spiritual trauma. Yeah, because even yeah. when I hear it, I'm like, no, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no, I was like, start getting yeah, of course. sweaty. I was kind of surprised bit. you asked. I was surprised I asked. <laughs> <laughs> Full of surprises today. <laughs> Well, Terry Lee Cobble, you are the president and founder of D Group. Mm-hmm. You are the host and creator of the Bible Recap podcast. Mm-hmm. It has now been downloaded over 8 
million times. Mm-hmm. We launched it January 2019. Mm-hmm. We are recording this podcast right now in December 2019. So less than 12 months have mm-hmm. gone by. Mm-hmm. And at one point, you were surpassing Oprah yeah. on we, the podcast charts. We, we did have a little window of time where we were, were beating the Super Soul podcast. I got people were sending me screenshots and I was like, oh, wow. I didn't, first of all, I don't even know how to check those things, but people sent me screenshots and I was like, this is crazy. Are you one of those people who don't look at the comments? No, I read all of our reviews on iTunes. I always want to know what people are saying. I want to know like how people are connecting or if there's a problem or things like that. But I don't look at numbers. The only reason I know the numbers is when our executive director reports them to me which is occasionally she'll be like, wow. hey, hey, we just, just so you know, here's where we are. And I'm like, oh, oh wow. Gosh, okay. Eight million downloads. Yeah. Did you ever think something like the Bible would be something that, <laughs> I no, mean, no, I, I thought, th- I thought three, I thought 300 people will listen to this. That's what I thought. And I thought our numbers would decrease over the year. And that's been the opposite. I mean, our numbers seriously, have increased the over the year. Yeah. How are you initially recording your your work? You know, when you order like a pen from Amazon and it comes in a box that like would hold a mattress, like this, <laughs> <laughs> it's like filled with a bunch of, you know, plastic blow up pillows to, to fill the box. I had one of those big boxes from Amazon um, and I had a sheepskin rug from Ikea. It's got to be hot, though. It was it? scorching. <laughs> and I live in Dallas. So I would stick my head in that box, and my microphone was in that box, and the sheepskin rug was my sound, you know, whatever that's Humble called. Humble beginnings, yeah. Fairly Cobble. Humble <laughs> yeah. beginnings. Now, Ooh, sweaty beginnings. <laughs> Oprah. Super Soul Sunday, or Super Soul, right? Super Soul Sunday? Super Soul, po- I don't know. Wow. I don't remember. 12 months. See, Ladies and gentlemen listening, you just never know what can happen when you put yourself out there. So Tara Lee and I met a 14 years ago mm-hmm. coming up and in 2006 at Dallas Barbecue. <laughs> Tara Lee was at the time touring as a musician all over the United States as a speaker. I, had you released your first book yet? I think I maybe was just about to. I don't remember the timeline exactly, but somewhere around in that time. So Terry Lee has released four books mm-hmm. altogether. Yep. Orange Jumpsuit. Here's to Hindsight. I'm trying to think. Crowded of- Skies is the one about Manhattan. Okay. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And Kiss the Wave. These are such lovely titles. Thanks. You've had a really magical journey because you, you've been really a self-starter. I mean, yes. with the music, yeah. you actually did a Kickstarter for one of your, was it one of your albums? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When Kickstarter wasn't really even a thing. Right. I was having to explain to people what it was. That's amazing. And a lot of your work has been around ministry work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why did you want to do that? You know, you could have done a lot of other things. You could have gone into fashion. You could have gone into <laughs> finance. Thank you, Jessica. (laughs) It was always what mattered most to me. It was always the core of who I was. My first memory is my mom teaching me John 3.16. My second memory is my brother Jason praying with me to become a Christian. So from a very early age. That's not to say I haven't had moments where I've doubted, wandered away, just wanted to throw it all out the window. But God is super persistent in pursuing me. But like you briefly mentioned, spiritual trauma. Yeah. Even through spiritual trauma, when I just was like, if if there were ever going to be a moment that I would walk away from the faith, it is now. And people 
many people said to me, I can't believe you're still a Christian. And I said, I can't believe I, I am either. I still can't believe you are either. Yeah. Yeah. But the Lord won't let me go. And he's always been the most important. He's been, the, you know, the only one who's been there with me from he before I was born. He's the only, you know, he's my eternal relationship. And so it's just kind of like you, I, I get to spend my days doing what's important to me, which is like remarkable. When we talk about healing from trauma, the conversation is often about getting physically fit, getting emotionally healed, which means sometimes it's a lot of therapy, mm -hmm. building healthy relationships, maybe letting go of some relationships. And it's often brought up having a spiritual component to your life. It doesn't have to be Christianity, right. but some sort of like higher power component. Mm -hmm. And yeah. what I think is so interesting about your story is you have had a really hard few years, mm -hmm. kind of encapsulating all three of those traumas. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And requiring all of that healing, and yet you still have a faith of some sort, which I find remarkable. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what to like say about how you've gone through all of that. Mm -hmm. When I think about healing from spiritual stuff, I just don't even know where to begin. But mm -hmm. let's take a step back. You, you had really gotten really far in your career. You had stopped speaking for a little while and you were focused on D group. It's a discipleship group. Can you talk a little bit yeah, about what sure. that is? D group is, it started with me and nine girls in a living room and we just decided we were getting together every week and studying the Bible and it kept growing on its own. And I was just doing this. I was a full-time speaker, musician, traveling the world and did that, started that. And it started to become my favorite thing in my life, D group. And so I started to dread leaving to go on tour I always found myself wanting to finish the song so I could talk about what what scripture inspired the next song. Oh, so yeah, like that deep connection was really important yes. to you. So see, I, I would be like, let me just finish the song so I can explain the next song. You know, like that yeah. was where I, I lived in those talking moments and I'm um, connecting with the audience in that way. I was never a, I was never trying to be a famous musician and I never would have been a famous musician because what what kept my career going was me talking to the audiences during the show and after the show. That was, that was what was making it happen for me and for them. So anyway, I found that D group is this place where I can have conversations about God and the Bible all the time with these people. And I was loving it. And so then I started wanting to come off the road and do D group more full time, which was uh, after five years happened, which was great. Because D Group kept growing organically. So then it was on, you know, then it wasn't just in South Carolina where it started. It was in South Carolina and North Carolina, then in Arkansas, then in Texas, then in all these places. And, and it's a model that replicates. It's, it's a model that you guys have created. Yes. That other people yeah. can mm -hmm. then replicate mm -hmm. for their own communities. It's, it's accessible to everyone. That's amazing because I think it can be really intimidating to approach any sort of faith. Yeah. Because everybody knows what they're talking about, except you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, one of our core values is lead with your junk. So it's nobody's perfect here. And another one of our core values is bring your wins and losses. So I love that. Yeah. It's like we want everybody to have a space to be where they are and be able to feel welcomed and encouraged where they are. Mm, yeah. That's so important. So really awesome. affirming, because that is not the narrative I remember from from Christianity. Right? <laughs> and, yeah. and one thing yeah. you mentioned in another interview is that this is really kind of going back to a translation that isn't encapsulated in shame and sort of yeah. 
the damnation narrative that a lot of mm-hmm. the church, quote mm-hmm. church, has right now, which can be unhealthy, healthy, really unhealthy relationships. And I think that speaks again in general to anyone finding healthy relationships. Going to church doesn't necessarily mean you're going to find healthy people there. You Correct. have a lot of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I love that D group is sort of like offering, it almost sounds like tools for people to figure that out. It's never going to be self-help. We are not the place you come to get your act together. We are not going to tell you how to live your best life now. A lot of people fight this feeling of inadequacy with like, I'm going to do self-help, but it's all still shame driven. Totally. That totally makes sense. Yeah. So it's a, it's a tornado that you can't get out of. Yeah. And so we don't do that. We take all that off the table. That's so interesting because we had a researcher, Erin Rodwin, on who is researching different therapy approaches. Mm-hmm. It's really fascinating. And his approach is hip-hop music therapy. Oh. So he's doing hip-hop music therapy in homeless shelters. That's incredible. It's amazing. And so we were talking wow. about all these amazing artists, Kendrick Lamar, Nas, like wow. Jadakiss, and how those lyrics can really inspire and uplift uh-huh. people. And he said that when he would walk through the homeless shelter, instead of saying, oh, we're doing a uh, session on anger management, he would say, oh, we're listening to Nas upstairs. Do you want to come up and listen? Mm-hmm. And that that actually helped create the space to have this conversation because it was no longer shame-based. Right. It was no longer based you on- You need to like, deal with your anger. Yes. It wasn't right. like self-help because, and mm-hmm. I said, yeah, all that positive thinking, like, oh, if I can just positive think my way out of this situation, then I would have already done that so for me personally it used to become like a cycle that was so frustrating because I'm like why it seems so easy why can't I just why can't I just think positively I don't understand right so what I hear you saying really is about reshaping these narratives yeah when it comes to faith which I think is Mm -hmm. so valuable because like we said earlier you know that spiritual component to healing is is so massive but it can get entangled in such a horrible way especially if part of the abuse has gotten entangled Mm -hmm. with your spirituality or your higher power or however you want to put language around Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So, I mean, just rapidly growing and things are really taking Mm -hmm. off for you. And Mm -hmm. it was amazing to bear witness to that. I mean, it's as a friend, you know, it's thrilling (laughs) to see when your friends are accomplishing their dreams and their goals. And it's been crazy because I never set out for it. I just thought it was just going to be me and these nine girls in a living room. I never thought for a second this is going to be a thing that I'm going to want to do as a job that is going to take over my life. Yeah. I thought this is going to do what I, this is how I'm going to, who I'm going to study the Bible with when I'm not on tour. It's remarkable. Yeah. So it wasn't even like, how can I build this network of discipleship that is on every continent? It was like, I need people to study the Bible with. (laughs) So it really was about like finding that need and meeting that need. Yeah. I tell people like, I didn't have a dream. I had a void. And so I was trying to get what I needed. Yeah. And through that found out that a lot of other people needed it as well. Yeah, I I love that because it, it, when we think about, talk about fi- making meaning of our stories, sometimes it is like, how can I help other people with mm-hmm. it? And maybe it's like right in front of you. Maybe yeah. it's not about like helping others, mm-hmm. but filling that void for yourself. I love that. That's yeah. so, there's so much wisdom in that. Yeah. I think whatever problem you see, it's, you know, what the Gandhi quote, like, be the change you want to see in the world. Whatever problem you see is probably because you might have the solution for it. Yeah. So whatever bothers you about what's happening in the world, go try to fix it. And you probably know best about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You you have eyes to see. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, that's so deep. 
So I don't even, when people are talking like, what should I do with my life? And I'm not, I often don't ask, what are you gifted at? I ask what bothers you. Yeah. So, because if, if it bothers you that this is this way, then how can you fix that? That's so true. That's so true. Yeah. And that can evolve. Absolutely. Too. Yeah. As can your gifting. So a lot of times your strengths will develop as you, as you lean into that, you're going to grow stronger and stronger in that area. So areas that you might not currently be gifted, you might see that just like. That's so yeah. true. So I want to kind of come back because mm-hmm. what we were talking about earlier is that like you were really making it, you were really soaring, everything's coming together and then that stopped. Mm-hmm. And a lot of stuff happened mm-hmm. in a very short amount of time, about, you said, 18 months. Can you tell us a little bit about what that transition looked like for you? I hit a period of life that, unrelated to what you know was happening in D group and things like that, just a lot of relational and life trauma started to happen. And first, my sister got brain cancer, and I walked with her through that, and she passed away. And then a couple months after that, I found out I needed to have open heart surgery to repair a birth defect. And then after that open heart surgery, I found out I need to have another open heart surgery. And in that open heart surgery, I was electrocuted oh accidentally and sh- should have died, but but lived. That takes you out of your relationships in a normal way because you can't, you aren't emotionally present. You sometimes aren't mentally present because of medications and things like that. And so my relationship started to shift. Can Um, you walk us through like a bit of timing? So your sister passed. Uh Uh-huh. And then how many, it was quite a few weeks. So she, my sister got sick in October. She passed away in January in like something like April. I found out I had to have open heart surgery. Was it pretty like you need to get this done now? Uh, yeah, yeah, they wanted wow. me to get it done, and I was like, "I'm about to go to Israel, so can we like hold off a little bit?" And they told me so I was going to be gone for a couple weeks to Israel and Europe. I think three weeks, and they said, "As soon as you get back, you need to have it immediately, and you need to find an a cardiac surgeon in every city you're going to." Wow, that's scary. Yeah, so I was I was at risk for an aortic dissection. They said. Where your aorta, to me that, I don't know what that is, but to me it sounds like the aorta just splits wide open, which doesn't sound great. No. We don't have to keep talking about that for your listener's sake. (laughs) I guess anybody has any weak stomachs. But I, so I had the second open heart surgery uh, two plus months after the first. And you had to have the second one. Yes. Yeah. The second, the need for the second one was discovered during the course of planning for the first. And it was a... A much more invasive surgery. And so, you know, if you've, anybody who's had surgery, you know, anesthesia has an impact on everything. It impacts your body, but it impacts your mind. You can lose memories for six months to a year. Wow. Uh, I remember one of my friends that I, who lives in New York, I saw her like a, a year or so after my surgery. And I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you in a couple of years. And she was like, Terry, I came to visit you after your surgery in Dallas. Wow. And she and I was like, are you serious? And she was like, yeah, I did not remember any of it. I had given her clothes. She was like, here's evidence you gave me. <laughs> Do you, you remember me. it now? No, I still don't remember it. Wow. But it it happened. I believe yeah. her. I don't think she's lying. But some memories are gone. Yeah. And some things have come back. Anesthesia is, a, is traumatic. And, and scary. And scary. Yeah. But I mean, thank God for it. I'm grateful it exists, but it doesn't, it's not without scars, you know, Mm -hmm. and just all of that 
coming into play, I had a lot of, I dealt with a lot of shock from my sister's, uh, my sister's death and her, her cancer. And then, you know, your relationships shift. And when you start acting differently, people don't know how to respond to you differently. There was a period of time where the only people I wanted to talk to were people who had lost someone to cancer. That makes sense. And so the other people in my life who were used to me talking to them, yeah, I was withdrawing from them. And they then, I th- I would imagine, didn't know how to respond to that. Like, do we lean in? Do we, why is she doing that? It, it creates a sense of mistrust, I think, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it makes them feel like a failure as a friend if they can't lean into my need. Or, you know, just any number of responses to that that are misaligned with the reality. And so it wasn't anything that they had done or anything. You know, it was just like, this is just not what I need right now. And I think over, over time, a lot, a lot of my relationships shifted in ways that just uh, over the course of life, relationships shift for any number of reasons. Yeah, People move, people get married, people have children. And I don't think we need to feel bad about those transitions happening. It doesn't mean like, doesn't always have to mean like, oh, that was a toxic person or this was unhealthy. It just may be like that was a phase of life and we're on to the next. Yeah, seasons. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some of that I think was was seasonal and some of that was probably the result of, of damage done in the relationship through the course of the, the trauma. Yeah, something that I wanted to talk to you about was this issue of when we think about illness and, you know, we're both... When I think about illness and like heart heart surgeries, I think about someone who's, you know, like in their seventies, right? You yeah, know, they're mm-hmm. older, and that just comes as part of life as as mm-hmm. your body changes a lot. But having a serious operation, or in my case, having a serious illness at a young age, mm-hmm. that's kind of confusing for our community. I think yeah. in, in my life, it was confusing for my family and it was confusing for friends. Mm-hmm. And then having something that affects cognition also was mm-hmm. confusing. So th- having boundaries was a really painful part mm-hmm. of the healing process. Mm-hmm. And I remember my doctor saying, you have to block people I remember being in the hospital and them saying, you have to block these people on your phone because this is reversing all the efforts we're yeah. putting into it for your brain because to heal. Yes, because the stress yes, because is so the damaging stress. to your healing. Exactly, yeah. mm-hmm. exactly. And even now, those relationships aren't the same anymore because as much as I try yeah. to explain, like it was actually, seriously, my doctor is looking over my shoulder being like, <laughs> <laughs> "This, you need to block this now. Yeah. Like these conversations. And the conversations I was having over text message were just like, where are you? Like, why aren't you here? Right. You know, mm-hmm. this is happening. Please come. And they were like, it's got to stop. And like I said, it took, gosh, like a year and a half before these people, you know, these family members talk to me again. I mean, it's still super mm. weird. And I think for me, again, the boundaries part and the changes in the relationship probably are the hardest, have been the hardest part about uh-huh. recovery. I, I would agree. I would agree. When I think about the heart surgery and my sister's death and everything that happened in the aftermath of that, the the emotional and relational things that happened were far more traumatic for me. The wounds, I think, ran deeper. Heart surgery scars are there too, but but it's not anything like the weight of relationship. 
It makes me think of that saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And in my case, I'm like, no, words (laughs) would definitely hurt me. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) They'll break my bones. Right. Yeah. Sticks and stones. But that's fine. I can heal from that. But the words, Mm -hmm. that's going to hurt. Yeah. And I think probably every listener can relate to that. It's like a physical wound. It, it can do you it can do you in, but not nearly like relational stuff can. So I mean, I think for me, one of the things that has been so beautiful about my relationship with the Lord is that I never felt disconnected from I, I always felt like he was like just right there, just right there. What does that mean? So, I mean, we could, we could go deep dive on, on spirituality here and I could talk about like the Holy Spirit, which would probably make you like have 55 more questions. Um, <laughs> Maybe that'll be another episode. But, oh, I guess right? I could listen to the Bible recap. <laughs> you can listen all those to the Bible recap. Answered. But, but yeah, so as. Like a presence? Do you mean like a physical, you like feel a presence? I, I feel a oneness with him. I am aware of his love. Like what do you physically feel? Physically, I feel nothing. It's not like I don't. It's like an emotion. I don't audibly hear a voice. I don't physically see a person. I don't physically feel like an arm around me. Yeah, like, that's what nothing, I mean. That's what yeah, I. No, 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 no. I, I just. It, it's interesting because Scripture calls it the peace that passes understanding, meaning it's a peace that doesn't make sense. Oh, because I think I. And again, I don't know if this is like an area that anyone else has struggled with when we talk about like oneness. And and they, again, this has just been part of my recovery processes. You know, people coming around wanting to be supportive and offering encouragement encouraging words, which mm-hmm. some have been, you know, find like that thing that makes you feel warm and that things that light <laughs> your heart on fire. And I'm looking everywhere like, I don't know. I don't feel it yet. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I don't feel that warm hug yet. Right. And so when I hear that, that sort of the way you're describing mm-hmm. it, I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I'm not doing it right. right. Well, and I'm not saying that it's not possible that People could feel that. I'm just saying for me, that was not it. For me, it was a mental, emotional, spiritual awareness of the truth. It was the peace that comes from resting in the truth. That's all. That's And from knowing my identity as a daughter of God, apart from heart surgery, apart from relational changes, apart from my sister passing away, you know, all that, just knowing like I'm a daughter of the king. And nothing can change that. Nothing can alter that. I'm glad you touched on that issue of identity because when all that stuff happened, I think for me, again, and I don't I don't know if anyone out there listening might have had this struggle, but having an illness and then trying to reorient your identity, who am I now? Mm-hmm. It's been so challenging. Yeah. So for, it sounds like for you, your faith has really been like the thing, the mm-hmm. grounding element right. of your story. Yeah. I never had a question of like, who am I now? You know, it was, but it was still a question of what do I do with who I, how do I be the best version of who I am now? Like, how do I live in wisdom where I am now? And so some of that for me meant things like what your doctor said, like cut off these relationships, Yeah, you know, except for me, it wasn't a doctor, it was a therapist and just like, okay, we're moving in this direction now because this other direction is, is yielding a lot of negative impact on you physically, emotionally, spiritually. So we're moving in this other direction. And even in this past year, which has been has so, so I was working a hundred hours a week for a year straight, pretty much. And a couple breaks here and there in that, but for the most part, it was, that was my schedule. And one of the things I had to do was I, like, I prayed about this and just felt like I, I need to pick five people that I have to see every week and five people that I can see every week. And then everybody else gets a no. I didn't want a bunch of 
thin surface relationships to spread me out. I didn't want to be like, I'm hanging out with all these people who know me this much. I wanted to be have, have people that I could go deep with very quickly because I might only have an hour to hang out with them. And so I didn't want it to be like surface relationship. I wanted to be like, we really know each other. We're really in this with each other. And that was super, it's crazy because I did that as a kind of a survival skill. Yeah. And it turned out like, I kind of want to carry, like, I feel like that's kind of amazing. I kind of want to carry that forward because those relationships got deeper. And I also felt like I was equipped to do what I was called to without distraction. Yeah. You're in a position where a lot of people look up to you. And your leader. Be that what it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I look up to you a lot and I admire you a lot and I learn a lot from you. And you're talking about being intentional about the people you spend time with. Mm-hmm. How do you balance that kind of push and pull where you're a leader to so many others mm-hmm. who are relying on you and also mm-hmm. pouring into yourself and, and providing for yourself? Yeah. What's hard for me is I, I'm an extrovert. And I live and work alone. So if somebody wants to spend time with me, I almost always want to spend time with them. And so it's, for me, it feels less of, I don't feel beholden to their desire to spend time with me or their, you know, like, hey, let's grab coffee. We should, hey, I'd love to, I'd love to pick your brain on this or whatever. Like that happens all the time. And I, I want to. If I didn't have anything, I'd be like, yeah, let's do it. Sounds great. I, what's your name again? You know, like that's, <laughs> yeah. I'm about it. I can't do that. I have to say no to the desire in me to do that. Mm, so yeah. it's not a, it's not me trying to please them. It's a me having to, I want to do it and me having to tell myself no. Wow. I would never even think about that. So I have to have to say, yeah, I, I can't right now. Like I'm, I'm really, it's not going to happen. <laughs> and um, it's not that I don't want to, I truly do. And I mean it. I don't think they believe me, but that's okay. But I really do want to do it. And I just I just can't. Because the reason that I am a person who has any kind of meaning in their life is because I haven't given all my time away. It's because I've spent 100 hours a week studying the words so that I can teach it to them. And if I start giving all my time away to every single person, then I don't have that time. And there are people who do that. There are people who always answer their phone who like there's a a writer who put his phone number in the back of his book and says call me I'll always answer and he does and that's not my calling my calling is not it's it's not an inch deep and a mile wide it's maybe an inch wide and a mile deep yeah wow I've never thought about the intentionality with yourself to say to yourself this is something I want Mm mm-hmm Wow. If only I, so if I can get to the place of doing that with chocolate, Jessica, my life would be so better. So much better. <laughs> <laughs> I think because I say no to the people, I say yes to the chocolate. I mean, there's balance. <laughs> there's balance. Touching on the issue of therapy, you did get a sneak peek of this, and I'm annoyed at myself that I I showed you the surprise, but I brought in Tara Lee, one of Terry Lee's first books. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Here's to hindsight. Here's to hindsight. When was this book published? I don't know. You were 23 whenever it was. You said this. I think you said I was 23. I don't know. Oh, okay. My apologies. (laughs) I don't remember. I just remember when I was so excited when you published published this. You you actually wrote in here. Wrote something. (gasps) I signed it to you. Yes, I was so excited. (laughs) (laughs) And one of my favorite quotes. 
of all time from Terry Lee Cobble mm-hmm. is this one about therapy. Oh, yeah. Actually. Let's do tell. What did I say? Let's see. <laughs> when I was 23 or something. This is the first conversation with your therapist. Mm-hmm. You are telling her everything that you've that you have decided about your your personal analysis mm-hmm. of yourself. And your self-diagnosis. Yeah, like here's why. Here's what I think's wrong with me. Yeah, you yeah. came in very prepared, <laughs> having read the DSMV, <laughs> checked off. <laughs> if only <laughs> all the diagnose, all the criteria, <laughs> just made it easy for them. I mean, why even like go to the therapist? Really, you're just looking for affirmation for them to be like exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. The first thing she said was, "Wow, you've self-diagnosed so much that you've saved yourself six months of counseling. It takes me a long time to get most people to that point." I mentally patted myself on the back because of course I want to impress even my therapist (laughs) I wanted her to think I was so great that she'd try to set me up with one of her sons if she had one (laughs) (laughs) yep it's true and at the first session I asked her for my homework I'm a task oriented person I thought this might not only prompt me toward a quicker healing, but also added benefit of saving me thousands of dollars. True, in counseling sessions, very expensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there's yeah. so many. There's so much actual like reality in here. Yes, it costs a lot of money <laughs> uh-huh, for uh-huh. therapy. One hundred percent have been that person when I walked into the therapist's mm-hmm. office who've been like, "I know exactly what's going on." <laughs> I mean, I will tell you, I've I've now had uh, four or five therapists over the years. I love therapy. And I move a lot. So you have to find a new one when you move, usually. And I've done that every, and all of them are like, you, I I was accurate about what I had said. There were other things I had missed, but I hadn't misdiagnosed myself. I had just not completely diagnosed myself. So there's still work to be done. But it, it, they've always said that this is really helpful. You, you know, you're self-aware. You realize your shortcomings. You know these things. And so, like, we will deal with those. There are also some other things that, you, <laughs> that are uh, over here. Let's, let's pay attention to those, too. And so it's been great. Yeah. And I did, a, I did a week-long intensive this past summer and went for EMDR, which I loved. And um, it was remarkably effective for me. EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing Ah, and reprocessing Mm -hmm. it is a it's under the wheelhouse of trauma informed therapy particularly body-based trauma Mm -hmm. therapy Mm -hmm. and obviously you've had a lot of trauma in the past Mm -hmm. few years (laughs) it's always good to work through stuff that is from complex trauma so there's two types of trauma ptsd and complex trauma ptsd is one singular series of events it could be one event or series of events Mm -hmm. chunked together and then there's complex which is just like over time so much different things have happened so you've had a kind of a lot of complex drama that Mm -hmm. just got layered and layered on top of each other Mm -hmm. emdr is something that is very popular in the trauma space but Mm -hmm. for people who are just coming to therapy it's not something you really know of i didn't know about it Mm -hmm. until i actually got trained in trauma therapy Yeah, I had to ask for it. And my therapist didn't do it. She's not trained in that modality. But she said, I think it'd be great. Let's find you somebody who can do it with as an intensive. And so she and I worked through a few different options and landed on one in Colorado. And I went out there for a week, had it. My first session ch- changed me. Wow. Like ch- one session. 
And I asked him, I said, is this normal? And I was like, this feels amazing. And then I, then I was like, I was like, this is, I've just got to be feeling this way because of like, this is like the afterglow effect. Like I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and I'm going to be like, have PTSD about this thing again. And so I kept testing myself, like running the scenarios in my head. And I was like, no, I still feel fine. I still feel, I'm, like my heart rate isn't, like my face isn't flushed. I'm not losing my voice. Like I'm not, um, and which is th- things that were happening before when I would think about, you know, these things. And so I literally lost my voice for a week with this trauma. Wow. And so losing my voice is one of the things that happens as a result of my PTSD. Yeah. So trauma can affect everyone so differently. Yeah, case, absolutely. You're losing your voice. I mean, it can be surprising mm-hmm. to yourself what things can happen. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so I felt... And I still feel, I still will test myself. And I'm like, I still feel fine. One session of EMDR for that thing. And I asked my therapist, is it this, is it this like kind of a magic pill for everyone? And he was like, no, 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 no. This is evidence that you have done a lot of work coming up to this. You've done a lot of work to get to this place. Because he, I mean, he, he told me a story of like a worst case scenario of a woman who'd been coming to him twice a week for two years before she even was able to identify her traumatic, like inciting incident. Mm, put it, put it into words. Yeah, yeah, that's really hard sometimes. Yeah, so I think, yeah, my story is everybody's story is different. Totally. I'll tell you also though that I did EMDR for a, a second experience, and it wasn't immediately successful. So it wasn't just like yeah. I'm not like some kind of EMDR prodigy. <laughs> just <laughs> if there's anyone but you out there are who's... a well prepared client. <laughs> Yeah, like we got a week to turn this out, maximize, make it happen. You maximize your time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I have actually been in EMD therapy with a therapist who practices EMDR for the last year, and we have Mm. not gotten there. Wow. Okay. Yet, and so it does just take time, depending on where your body's at. In my case, like we said earlier in the podcast, I have such a fragile body-based state towards emotional stress, probably Mm -hmm. partly because I have such a history of complex trauma and also because I have a brain disease and a compromised Mm -hmm. sort of brain functioning because Mm -hmm. of that. So I'm just hypersensitive to seizure activity and all of that is triggered from emotional response. Right. So- yeah, we we haven't even gone. Yeah, we haven't gone that far different, yet. Right? But I am like you too, where I'm like, let's get this right. Let's get this going. So like, I came in with my homework. Yeah, yeah, all the research. Like, mm-hmm. and I just finish her sentences, what she's explaining to me. Oh gosh, and it has been such a hard lesson. Like, there's no overachieving with healing. Mm. And one thing that was challenging for me was realizing that healing isn't linear. Mm, yeah, so true. And you, you want it to be, but then just like with grief, it comes in waves. You're like, I think I'm fine. And then all of a sudden I have a memory or I see a picture or whatever, like, and all of a sudden I'm, you know, in tears again. That's that I spent a lot of time in that space. And I mean, it's, it, again, the shaming element can come in where you're shaming yourself for having to deal with something that you thought you'd already dealt with. Mm, that is so accurate. And when you heap shame on yourself for not being as far along as you hoped you'd be, it's just detrimental to the process. What do you think is the elixir to shame? <laughs> um, this is going to sound real cheesy. I, I really, really think the only antidote to shame is knowing your identity in Christ, which isn't possible if you don't know Christ. You yeah. Know? And so now that's not to say that people who, who aren't Christians can't have healthy, healthy, happy, functioning lives that are sometimes healthier and happier than Christians. Yes. You know? Accurate. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I know a, I know a lot of people who aren't Christians who have very healthy, very happy lives. So don't hear me say like you know, you'll never be happy until you know like no you can be you can be happy. But I think there's always still in us in humans. I think innately we want to achieve, we want to earn, and so the hard thing in that with God is that we don't have anything to give Him that He didn't give us first. So it's always super humbling. It takes you down from the, like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of thing. It's like, well, I don't have bootstraps or, you know, like whatever. And it's, I don't have hands. Like those kinds of, I can't do those things. Just reminded that, like, I literally have nothing to offer God that he didn't first give me. And so the self-help thing is just, it's, it's a lie and it's it, what unhelpful. I hear saying, yeah, because what I hear you saying about self-help, at least the language around self-help is that, it can actually re- reaffirm the shame in some mm-hmm. ways, which yes. I think is so interesting. I've never even thought about that. Yeah. Because yeah. I have gotten frustrated with, why isn't this self-help book working for me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if they if it did, why are there so many self-help books? If, if someone had solved it, we don't need any more books. But the, you know, like, yeah. that's, and I think people often, one of the things I see in Christendom is, People often approach the Bible like it's a self-help book, and they'll 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 say things like, "Oh, you're a Bible teacher. Do you talk about how it's applicable to modern day life?" Like that's one thing I just find out how how to, how I apply it. And I'm like, it's not a self-help book. It's not how do you apply it. It's not how do you do it. It's it's it tells you about a person and how to love him, like what who he is. And so when you read it, you're reading about a person and you're falling in love with a person. It's not a to do list. It's not a checklist. I think that's the hard part. Mm-hmm. Because we want, it's we inherently, we inherently want it to be a to-do list because humans want to feel good about having achieved something. Uh, yes. That's why I walk into the therapist's office with my yeah. self-diagnosis. Same, same, same. <laughs> yeah. We want to be able to check the boxes. We want to be able to feel like we're becoming our idealized version of ourselves. And the message of scripture is that you can't, you won't, and it's been done for you by someone who did it perfectly. And he loves you and wants a relationship with you. Are you willing to stop trying? Oh, my gosh. What I hear you saying (laughs) is so much about vulnerability and trust. And I just, oh, gosh, I get just stressed out. Just, gosh, I think uh, when we talk about trauma and healing, Mm -hmm. there is a quote by Dr. Richard Malika, which I love. He's at Harvard Medical School. He was one of the programs that I worked with, the Harvard Global Mental Health Program. What I thought was so like mind-blowing about that program, I expected to walk in there and talk about all these theories about global mental health and how you work with refugees and these different therapy modalities. And Uh almost the entire program was based around art. And (laughs) What? Yeah. Art. Say more. Art and spirituality. Wow. Not not Christianity, Uh but like the need to meet people where they're at with their spirituality, that Mm -hmm. that component and the ability that we knew someone was in the process of of progressing in their healing when they could appreciate art and when they could appreciate beauty because appreciating beauty requires a level of vulnerability Mm. that is often hard to attain when you have had trauma because you shut that part of yourself down. Yeah. You shut down the, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what I hear you saying about even approaching your spirituality mm-hmm. or how you talk about God or mm-hmm. if you believe in Jesus, all that stuff takes so much trust, hope, and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whew. 
Yeah. It reminds me of the C.S. Lewis quote that's like, you can close your heart off to love, but then you it becomes a casket. Mm, yeah. And uh, like the it's not if it can't be penetrated by love and it can't you can't find joy to feel joy. You have to feel sorrow to, you know, like you can't isolate yourself from feeling only the bad emotions because then you lock out the good ones, too. Oh, gosh, there's so much more to unpack with you, Terry Lee Cobble. You are so wise. You have so much to offer us. Please, everyone who's listening, please check out Terry Lee at Terry Lee Cobble, basically everywhere, Twitter, Instagram, mm-hmm. TerryLeeCobble.com, and the D Group. Dot com, I believe. MyDGroup.org. MyDGroup.org. Uh-huh. Excuse me. And you can basically join, right? You can start your own Yeah, you can start group. your own. Uh-huh. And if you and if you don't want to start your own group and you but you want to study the Bible, you can find the Bible recap anywhere podcasts are sold. <laughs> Provided. <laughs> yeah. Podcasts Aired. are this new thing. <laughs> right. You can listen to them at right. any time. They're like radio. You can um, listen to them right. at any time. Yeah. And you have a new project coming out in January. Mm-hmm. We are going to – so the Bible recap, we read through the Bible in a year. And then we're starting a thing called the Bible Kneecap, where we're praying through the Bible in a year. Oh, that's cheeky. <laughs> cheeky. If you don't want puns, don't come to me because I love a pun. <laughs> so yeah, we're doing the Bible Kneecap and yeah, it's it's fun. It, it partners with what we're reading in the Bible Recap. So Well, here's to a million more downloads. Terry Lee Cobble, you oh are a goodness. remarkable, remarkable woman. I adore you. I look up to you. Thank you so much for sharing your insight and your wisdom with our listeners. I know that I learn so much from you every time I talk to you. So yeah, thank you. I don't, what else do I say? (laughs) Thanks for having me here. I love you. I respect and admire what you're doing. I think you're making a difference in the lives of so many people. And what you're doing isn't easy, but what you're doing is important. So keep at it. Let me start coughing on the compliment therapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) got to learn how to receive that. Oh, gosh. (laughs) I'm Jessica Minhas, and thanks for joining us on I'll Go First. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our mission is to uplift and support you in your journey of healing. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, comment, and share. And if there's a topic you'd like us to dive deeper into or would like to share your story with us, we are available on all major platforms at I'll Go First and www.algofirst.com. We'll see you next time.